Today's episode is uh, one of the specialist one, the, the most special episode that we about to have because uh, we have a person way away from us, uh, straight from USA, Emory University. Uh, he's representing Emory's University's uh, very known and um, very necessary, uh, um, how do you say, course. Uh, and it's uh, uh, it's something that uh, about to apply uh, from organization in this town, and uh, it's about uh, compassion, cognitively based compassion training, and the uh, Center for uh, uh, con- Contemplative Science and Compassion Based Ethics, uh, if I'm mistaken, uh, Mr. I mean, Dr. Tenzin Negi is uh, the legal name is uh, Satya Dev Negi. Yes. Am I pronouncing it well? Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. So um, I have uh, many, many, many questions, but uh, I'm not sure if I can cover everything that I felt to ask. But uh, hopefully, I will try my best to deliver what uh, this person have found over the years. Because uh, the, I mean, the best part is he has a uh, 27 of experience uh, being a monk, and then he changed his life form. I mean, uh, um, I think uh, this is the best topic that we're gonna touch uh, very soon. To uh, so he changed his life form to uh, become a, a person who's scientifically based information i mean uh, science based information he collects it and then delivers it to uh, public and and students who like to study so uh, what we today talk about is basically what's compassion and by knowing these uh, these uh, terms and embody with embodies with these terms what we can achieve and uh, a very, uh, very related topic with us, but uh, in reality, we don't know it much. Mm-hmm. We just know those terms and we use it, but do we embody it and do we live with it? That's the question. So thank you very much for having this time for us, for my audiences, and uh, uh, please welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me here. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the um, 27 years of uh, being a monk in temple. And uh, what was your first life experience during those years? And then how you find yourself to change your life form? Yes, I was a monk for 27 years. Of course, uh, <clears throat> I was born in the Himalayas, you know, mm-hmm. a small uh, valley town or district known as Kinnor, uh, it's next to Ladakh. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know you you are familiar with the Himalayas, uh, it's yes. on the Indian side of the the Indo-Tibetan border. Um, at age fourteen, uh, I had this rare opportunity to uh, 
be selected uh, as one of the three young kids to be brought to Dharamsala, um, you know, at the uh, ask of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So um, I was, um, you know, put at uh, a Buddhist school called Institute of Buddhist Dialectics, and I studied there for about 10 years, a little mm-hmm. over 10 years, and then uh, from there I went to uh, Drepung Losiling Monastery. It's one of the the three big Tibetan monasteries where they offer a very kind of advanced uh, courses in Tibetan uh, Buddhist philosophy, psychology, epistemology, you know, ethics, metaphysics, contemplative studies, and so forth. Uh, so that's where I received my Geshe Lharam uh, degree. But uh, Geshe Geshe Lharam, yeah, there it's are different uh, levels of Geshe. Uh-huh. Degrees Geshe Lharam is uh, one of the it is the highest form of Geshe and Geshe is uh, it an academic title you know it's like a doctor ah, of degree. Buddhist religion it is uh, you would say Buddhist studies ah, studies know, ah, okay. because it's not only religion uh, uh-huh. strictly speaking uh, the studies include uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. It includes psychology, yes, epistemology. How do how do we know what we know? You know, it is the way of uh, acquiring uh, understanding of the knowledge, um, and it includes also metaphysics. Of course, you know the religion aspect. Yes, you know, as you know that His Holiness the Dalai Lama talks about when he talks, he talks about Buddhism or the Buddhist culture uh, in three parts: mm-hmm. you know, Buddhist science, Buddhist philosophy. And Buddhist religion, mm-hmm. the religion part is more to do with the rituals, the metaphysics, you know, the things that uh, are sort of the unique uh, to Buddhism. You know, it 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 uh, the way to understand is that religion part has a certain metaphysical concepts that uh, you know it's not necessarily uh, everyone can. Uh, accept or uh, agree with or practice mm-hmm. but the buddhist science mm-hmm. which is uh, it's basically it's about understanding of the mind mm-hmm. uh, the emotions the workings of the mind but also the physical world how is it you know uh, formed and when it comes to buddhist science whether it's the science about the physical world or the inner world of the mind and emotions there, uh, Buddhist science is about really uh, studying and understanding uh, objectively, you know, to what mind is, how, what the emotions are, how they work, what their functions are, and uh, from that perspective, it is it's it's a science, you know that. Uh, yes. And then the philosophy, yeah, there is a, uh, a big uh, component of Buddhism, which is philosophy, you know, that has to do with how do we understand. Uh, the uh, you know the nature of the world in terms of the, its impermanence uh, or interdependence you know these are the, some of the the core kind of philosophical concept uh, of Buddhism, which um, you know today uh, the science also uh, in many ways find uh, the very kind of much of the 
the resonance with that. Uh, and uh, uh, so when it comes to Buddhist science and Buddhist philosophy, these are not strictly kind of the religion, but rather something that whether someone is a Buddhist or not can engage and uh, uh, gain knowledge and understanding experience. Perhaps, you know, through that experience and insights, uh, can find some transformation in one's personal life as well. So basically, you know, uh, come to your question, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what was that f like for me to be monk for uh, 27 years? Uh, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful part of my life, you know, that was dedicated to learning and uh, meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, but I went to the United States. Uh, uh, basically, to uh, study uh, the scientific mode of understanding mind and emotions particularly and their impact on our health and well-being. Mm -hmm. So I enrolled in a PhD program at Emory University and uh, uh, did my PhD there. And eventually, you know, that I sort of fell in love. <laughs> so I gave back my vows. Mm -hmm. Being, you know, a monk is supposed to be a celibate. So, you know, when uh, I had the, developed a certain uh, feelings, uh, and uh, so Buddhist tradition uh, allows you to formally return your vows. And uh, I did that with my uh, teacher, you know, his eminence, Rezon Rinpoche, he was the head of the Geluk, or the Yellowhead School of Tibetan Buddhism at one point. Uh, and then the, I returned to lay life, but uh, as a layperson, uh, I'm not a monk, but otherwise I practice, I teach, I continue the way, you know, much of my life has been as I was a monk. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, uh, very not a uh, regular experience that uh, meeting with someone who was monk and then became a, a professor for the university and uh, especially but the topic is still the same the what you be, uh, how you living before and now it's a uh, pretty similar but the title and appearance wise you've changed yeah 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 i said that uh, you know when people ask what's difference mm -hmm. <laughs> and i said the difference really is for me uh, is uh, you know, I'm not a celibate anymore. I'm a married person. But in terms of uh, what I was doing before when I was a monk, you know, uh, studies, the practice, teaching, uh, these are the same. Uh, I, I really uh, have not changed uh, in that respect. But, you know, I continue to, uh, to uh, provide the teachings in Buddhist, Buddhist teachings, meditations as well, but of course I do teach in a university, so I teach the courses, you know, that relate to the topics, not only Buddhist philosophy and psychology and so forth, but also now I do interdisciplinary work. And the I want to point on something and have a really good explanation on this uh, term, interdependence. So um, it's it's about uh, how we're going to live uh, together 
as a one whole. And uh, I would like to have one good definition of it and uh, how you deliver that mentality or mindset, how you call it, and uh, to other world, which is non-believers of any religions, and uh, even though it's a believer of or who belongs to another religion, and this interdependency, um, you know, because of our gen- our population is too young, very unknown, mm-hmm. and there's a uh, many people who does not know what's Buddhist philosophy and what's what science behind it, in all those uh, all sort of information out there, they they have no there's access, but uh, they don't dig into dig deep into those information. So I, I wanna I wanna start uh, bit by bit. Sure, and sure. giving that information. I'm not obligating them to practice it, right, but uh, right. I just want to share this knowledge. Yeah. Yes, thank you for that question. Uh, interdependence. It is really is a big topic in yes. some ways, but on the other hand, uh, it's really uh, quite simple. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, one way to address this is uh, if you ask, what is the Buddhist view, you know, that we, we talk about a view or the perspective mm-hmm. and the practice, you yes. know, the, or the conduct, behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally we would say that a Buddhist view is of that of interdependence, pratitya samutpada in Sanskrit, or tendel, which is a Tibetan word. Um, and it can be understood at many levels, but one level to understand is that, you know, let's take, for example, our reality as social beings. Mm-hmm. We are social animals, basically, right? You know, that we depend for our resources, like it's food, clothing, water, everything that we need to survive depend on others. You know, like food, for example, sandwich that I eat, it, it actually uh, is produced by the farmers. It probably, the, if you are living in a big city, the supermarket or the groceries, they will you know, bring the, the vegetables and so forth. Uh, and the, you know, but those vegetables are grown by Somewhere farmers. Else, yeah. and the, you know, the farmers <laughs> and the farmers <laughs> and the <water laughs> to that, you know, fertilizers and so forth. When you look in this way, you are really dependent from others, so many other people. Yes. There is really no me without others. And this social reality of ourselves, where our biological, the physical needs depend totally on others. This is one level of understanding social uh, interdependence. You know, And this kind of mindset, if you think that interdependence, has a very kind of immediate and profound uh, impact on our lives. If I uh, see my reality that, that I depend on other people, there is a sense of connection. You know, this sense of connection uh, provides you this emotional sense of connection is a very, very important mental factor for our well-being because we know today that, uh, you know, in, of course, it's happening everywhere, but particularly in 
the advanced, materially advanced countries like the United States, you know, Europe, when you look at in these countries, the the struggle with the loneliness, people who feel disconnected, don't feel a sense of connection because the family structures have sort of, you know, uh, in many ways kind of dismantled, people move around. And uh, also, in some ways, uh, the ideology of this individualism mm -hmm. you know, that I'm self-made, I don't depend on others, that actually is uh, creating a sense of isolation. And that sense of isolation or the loneliness is a big factor uh, when it comes to our you know, many of our illnesses like depression, anxiety, burnout, you know. Uh, science tells us that the impact on our longevity, you know, the how long we live of loneliness is as high as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Wow. It's actually worse than being obese, overweight. And then if you look at, you know, what's happening Today we spend millions, perhaps billions of dollars, right, to raise awareness about how, you know, smoking is hazardous for our health, which is important. I think it's wonderful that, you know, we are uh, investing that much to raise awareness about the negative impact of the smoking. Uh, and of course, you know, so many people spend, you know, thousands of dollars to kind of keep the, the weight uh, low, uh, you know, that uh, obesity is a yes. real big problem. But when you think about the loneliness, you know, that, uh, until recently, this has not been really kind of uh, seriously dealt with. It's actually, if you look at the work of uh, Vivek Murthy, who is the Surgeon General um, of the United States. He served as a Surgeon General during Obama administration, mm -hmm. and, and now Biden administration, he's also the Surgeon General, a wonderful, wonderful physician. He is the one that who actually, you know, that uh, shed light on this epidemic. He's, he, when he went across the country in the United States, seeing what the people, public is facing in terms of the public health issues, he says that it was not cancer you know, or other illnesses. It was the loneliness that sort of shocked him. Caused him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he says that this is a you know, public kind of health uh, epidemic in the United States. And when you look deeply, the cause of that is not having a sense of connection, mm -hmm. you know, social connection. So the interdependence, even at the, that level of how my own necessities, needs, are totally dependent on others. That sense of connection can be very uh, important for our own mental health. And mm -hmm. uh, of course, for the relationship. You know, if I have a sense of what I'm receiving from others, you know, like our own co-workers, neighbors, the people who are in uh, our uh, orbit of life, you know, the, whether at the workplace or the, in the neighborhood, in the family and circle of relatives, there will be a sense of 
gratitude, a sense of warmth. That is, you know, that's so important for our well-being. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, well-being, uh, that's, the, that's the term that uh, everybody understands and everybody looks for it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, uh, that's the state that continuously we will be at, but uh, it's something that people always looks for, even though gets it, they lose it. Because yeah. our life is dynamic, constantly evolving, and there's uh, so many things happening around us, right? Yes. And uh, and now it uh, now this topic comes in, cognitively based compassion training. Uh, this this curriculum, this uh, whole program, um, what? What's the biggest mission or the vision of this program? How you think uh, it will uh, impact to our society? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, <clears throat> you know, it may be helpful to just take a look at the origins of this program mm-hmm. called the CBCT, Cognitively Based Compassion Training. Yeah. And it's a training that was developed at Emory University uh, back in 2003. I was teaching a course, uh, actually it was in Mm -hmm. Buddhism, but it was titled Psychology of Enlightenment, basically Mm -hmm. looking at different models of meditations, including compassion, uh, and see how these inner changes or the inner qualities actually contribute to the well-being uh, in our lives, you know, personally, but also the, for our uh, interpersonal well-being, the people that we live with, we interact with. Yeah. And uh, one of the students taking this class uh, was uh, very uh, involved. Actually, she was leading an initiative to raise awareness about the mental health on the campus because we had a few suicides among students, uh, and suicide, you know, obviously is a reflection of the serious, serious uh, mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, she felt that uh, some of these meditations uh, will really help the, the students. Uh, you know, first of all, remove this kind of ment- stigma on the mental health, mm-hmm. but also provide these inner tools to manage you know, regulate emotions mm-hmm. so that uh, they become uh, so kind of severe that way, you know, people either fall into deep depression and then and sometimes, unfortunately, even, you know, uh, ended, ending up taking their lives. So she encouraged me to develop a program that can be offered to the students. And uh, uh, from there, the CBCD, was developed, the, oh. the compassion training. And, uh, uh, you know, we needed to actually scientifically study to see if this actually helps, in some ways, buffer this uh, modern-day problems, not just the mental health, mental emotional problems, but also, you know, so many of our modern-day problems, including Alzheimer's. And I don't know how, uh, you know, what, what the... The rate of uh, the this uh, Alzheimer's is in Mongolia, but you know, in uh, 
Western world, it, it's very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the cancer and other problems. But certainly the mental problems like depression, anxiety, you know, this burnout, loneliness, these are major, major psychological issues that people are struggling with. So we wanted to see that if uh, compassion training, mm-hmm. compassion meditation, if that can uh, show some benefit in terms of dealing with our everyday stresses, because, you know, because the chronic stress is a major kind of contributor to these illnesses. So we want to see if compassion training can help. Uh, the understanding there, or hypothesis, you know, thinking there is this: that uh, we tend to see the world like our colleagues or other people, you know, this as as their threat to us for my success, my promotion, my you know, uh, rising in rank and so forth and so on, or other issues that we, you know, uh, have to uh, kind of deal with them. So seeing others as a threat can induce a lot of stress. Yes, of course. But on the other hand, what about if develop we develop a way where we can relate to others with a certain degree of warmth, tenderness, mm-hmm. then would that have a different impact on our you know, stress kind of uh, response? And that's precisely what we, d- we did with the college students. And it was measured not just by asking them, are you stressed or not, but rather looking at as the certain biochemicals like IL-6. It's a immune response. Uh, it's a stress marker. And it can be measured in terms of the inflammation just in our cells. And inflammation is a major, major source of uh, problem today. Also, cortisol, which is a harm, you know, the hormone. Stress uh, hormone. Stress hormone. And you can also say that how elevated levels of stress hormone, when it remains long, it also correlated with many of these illnesses. So uh, at Emory University, we offered this to college students. And, uh, you know, just to make this long story short, what we found was that actually when the students go through this training and, you know, do practice, they show significantly lower inflammation in their blood system. And they, their cortisols, when they are confronted with certain stressors, certain challenges, of course it goes up, yes. but it drops down much faster. That is a measure of resilience, you know, like that. In life, we're going to be facing ups and downs. You yes. know, that's, as you were saying earlier, that we live in a society. There are many, you know, challenges, of course. But the problem for us is not just confronting with the challenges, but rather it's more psychological. We, when something goes wrong, some argument and like that, we remain stuck with that, ruminating, you know, that, and then that's what uh, is constantly uh, becomes the source of our stress. So therefore, uh, you know, compassion training, you know, if, if it, it did show that students who did practice they had less inflammation, 
their stress hormones drop down much faster and that's what you know uh, launched us with many studies since then okay now i would like to have um, case studies that uh, you guys have made to prove those concepts and uh, it's uh, it's always easier to understand like uh, science behind it yes. yeah please give me one case sure yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> besides the college students freshman college mm-hmm. students we had another study done with the medical students mm-hmm. you know second year medical students and uh, it's important um, because in the medical uh, community you know you know that the highest degree of mental health problem is among the healthcare providers healthcare practitioners mm-hmm. like the doctors yes you know, even the suicides every year like in america anywhere from 300 to 40 400 doctors commit suicide which is a huge you know the yeah. number yeah. and then then when on top of the other problems like depression burnout you know like up to 60% of the physician report either experiencing or have experience in the past burnout which is which takes a huge toll on their work on their families you know situation as as well as for the organization itself but when people go into medicine you know then these are the people with a tremendous degree of compassion you know that they go into the medicine to help people you know heal mm-hmm. the unfortunate thing is that um, it's not very easy to sustain compassion when you are confronted with the people in their you know the most difficult situation most vulnerable situation or the will illness and like that so there's a very clear research that shows that uh, by third year medical students you know their compassion levels just really drop and there's also uh, a research strong kind of evidence in the scientific research that the lower the compassion phys- a physician feels towards its patient or the others actually you know the higher their own emotional problems and also that affects their uh, patient outcomes you know patient recovery but also uh, more mistakes that they make in their medical treatment wow. so it's a this is a huge uh, issue for the healthcare workers today you know and this is the part of the major you know contributor to burnout Uh, is uh, uh, is uh, you know being seen as uh, the depletion of compassion or the compassion meaning this meaningful connection uh-huh. with others whether depletion what is uh, what does that mean depleting you know like if when it uh, decreases ah decreases okay yeah yeah because they may go into the medicine medicine with very high degree of compassion and a mm-hmm. commitment to help others but then over the time it goes down and that what becomes very difficult to you know have joy in their work you know when they make mistakes and so th- so so compassion seems very very important quality to sustain to be sustained uh, and uh, so with the second year medical students at emory university we did 
uh, a small study where for 10 weeks these students were given compassion training mm-hmm. and then uh, other students who were not uh, given compassion training but uh, they were waitlist in the control waitlist meaning that they will receive after the, st- the research is done they will also receive but for the research purpose we needed to have two groups one group that received the compassion training and the other group did not these are all second year medical students at Emory University mm-hmm. and uh, after 10 weeks of uh, study pr- the this program what uh, was clear was that in the group that went into the compassion training their compassion levels did not go down actually it you see a upwards trend you know like uh, whereas in the control group the group that did not uh, go in compassion training but they, 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 these are second year students otherwise it's similar to the to the compassion uh, training students their compassion levels actually dropped down significantly uh, the another part is more psychological you, know, you also see the depression you know th- among the the students is start to increase mm-hmm. and uh, uh, again in this group two groups you find that um, in the compassion training the students depression you know, did not uh, rise whereas in the control group there is a increase in depression loneliness in the compassion group went down whereas non meditators they were bec- they became more lonely so these are some of the really you know the, uh, the significant kind of findings in the medical field today uh, because when you th- think about for the physicians nurses you know the other uh, caregivers uh, for them to remain healthy so that they can do the they work. can provide yeah, care yeah. for others mm-hmm. you know, properly. Maintaining the levels of compassion, if that becomes so important. And uh, uh, how can we train? You know, that it, it may be, science may show that yes, you know, that if you maintain your compassion level, you are more protected from these illnesses. But how do we go about increasing? And that's where I think you know, uh, my training uh, as a Buddhist uh, monk, you know, studying from these classics of the uh, Indo-Tibetan tradition, which the Mongolia, you know, uh, was at some point, you know, t- totally the Buddhist as well, or the, you know, the very large percent, the same, like the Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, that kind of the the familiarity and the 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 access and knowledge uh, was really really helpful because in the buddhist tradition not as a religion you know it is a purely as a science you know science of mind yes it presents a very kind of time tested systematic steps for cultivating compassion broadening compassion deepening compassion and these have been practiced and taught for you know over 2000 years uh, certainly in 
the Tibetan world over a thousand years, uh, Mongolia, same way, you know, ever since the Mongolia uh, uh, brought Buddhism from Tibet also. So this is something, I think, for, you know, like the Mongolians, for the Tibetans, uh, you know, that certainly it's not only... Uh, something to be explored for our personal well-being. But I think, uh, you know, uh, our populations can really benefit from having more in-depth understanding of this for, you know, our own well-being, but also to make the contribution to the world. Yes. And, uh, you know, the mind and body uh, looks or it feels different or separated. And uh, people tend to uh, exercise their bodies to, to be healthy or to be well. But the body part stays behind and uh, without knowing what to do exactly. When you say training, it's a, there's a certain methods mm -hmm. and there's a certain sequences between them and you have to do it one by one one over one right and practice it as we exercise our bodies when we go to the gym yes and uh now you just uh, mentioned uh, or how you guys concluded this compassion uh when we uh, increase this quality in ourselves it helps us certain ways mm -hmm. which is you just mentioned those uh, students how they showed the effect and uh, now out there lots of information about how to become a better person how to become uh, how to have better body and uh, now there's a uh, very few techniques that uh, how to elevate the compassion part in our body because even even there's no um, like uh, compassion related topics in in our society, when they hear compassion, this word compassion, they tend to they likely to connect it with the Buddhist way of seeing things or Buddhist religion, and that's when the younger generation closes their uh, peripheric mind. Mm -hmm. just to um, label it as a religion and then not to dig into that topic. So what I'm trying to deliver is what we're talking about, maybe originally it's Buddhist way of living, a Buddhist uh, uh, science and philosophy, but now it's science included. We're not promoting any belief to uh, okay come and join buddhist philosophy and stuff like that but it's actually helping these urbanized life form that we have and we going through and uh, now my next question would be related what's the method and uh, of course you're not going to give all the details uh, during this episode but uh Maybe we could have some small uh, techniques that we can take from um, this episode. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think um, 
you are absolutely right first of all um, you know many people when they hear about compassion they associate with the religion yes. you know, that uh, in the uh, world like here you may think that this is, has to do with buddhism you know in the christian world they may think this has to do with christianity you know certainly compassion has been the foundation for all these religions you know like this so uh, many people in the, uh, you know and unfortunately uh, mistakenly think that it's a religious value but the compassion is a completely it's 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 a human basic human value not even the human it's a mammalian value you yes know? you know like the, all the mammals all the mammals are compassionate have to have this certain level of compassion if the mother you know the either mother monkey or the mother rat mm-hmm. you know mother rabbit or the cat cannot have this a certain sense of this warm tender feeling towards its young how would uh, a mother or the father you know that would really uh, you know respond to the needs of this totally helpless babies you know mm-hmm. like humans certainly i mean you know we take so many years to really be self sufficient but even the animal you know babies at some stage totally rely on their parents care right mm-hmm. you know so the compassion is is a biological kind of the quality the quality it's it's a it's it's a you're not just human it's a mammalian universal i mean everyone has it you know like this and the science uh is a uh, very you know clear that mm-hmm. how um actually when you look at uh, in the recent uh, years how evolutionary science neuroscience you know that uh, social scientists as they th- try to understand the our behavior you mm-hmm. know that how have we uh, engaged in uh, our personal life in the society how have we have we evolved you know to become now as human beings very sophisticated uh, producing all this incredible you know technology and so forth actually in the past the dominant thinking in the science was that uh, it's the competition you know the whoever is the strongest survived you know that's why they call the survival of the fittest and yes. the worst weak would be you know kind of will disappear right yes. but that thinking is totally changed today you know this fundamental thinking in science is that evolution through cooperation not competition that is that's a really really important part and this kind of thinking you know th- that is uh, led by the careful understanding and observation of the, our behavior and uh, it becomes very clear that compassion is the key to any social animal for its survival and flourishing now uh science has been i mean it's slow in recognizing that but today it it is it's a kind of mainstream science it, it today even in businesses people are realizing that a good business you know good working kind of uh, society or the organization depends on a compassionate leadership mm-hmm. and a certain degree of this tender 
feeling towards the members of the the workplace uh, towards each other, and uh, they are seeing that that you know the, what uh, the trust among each other, uh, how important that plays, and compassion, not some kind of abstract you know value, but rather compassion. It's a heart of compassion is the warm. Hearted feeling, tender feeling, you know that where we, like the mother feels for her child or the good friend for another friend, and that uh, understanding is uh, very scientific today. Uh, now, how you promote that, you know, to some degree we all have like the seed of compassion we all have. We feel yes. for our loved one, but how do we expand that to include our other colleagues? And the neighbors, and perhaps people who may not look like us, or the people whose values or behaviors we may not quite agree, but nonetheless we are, you know, really a social being. And today, whether we want or not, we have to live together. You know, like particularly urban living. You know, that so many different people. So how do we go about promoting compassion? And this is where. The this ancient, you know, the traditions like the, you know, all religions certainly, but certainly, the Buddhist tradition uh, of all has the most kind of detailed, uh, you know, processes for cultivating compassion. One of the things uh, this uh, tradition points to is that what you need to do is the first, really have it. It's kind of Personal taste of what compassion feels like, you know that we can talk about as theory, but until we have a sense of what receiving compassion from someone it feels like, you know, like that from parents or the friends, when you can attune to that, you know, even kind of remembering that changes our inner landscape so to speak you know our feelings you know there's a certain sense of comfort in our chest in our there's a certain sense of safety that comes with that sense of safety the security is so important you know so in compassion training our first step is to connect with a moment of nurturance a moment of kindness and this is not a religion you know this is a pure psychology yes and uh, whether someone Believes one religion or another, or no religion at all, but as a human being, we can all, you know, connect to a moment where we uh, received some care from someone, you know, whether in the childhood or now in the adult, and to connect it to that to see what it feels like, because receiving care puts us at at ease, at a certain sense of you know security. And that is so important for our well-being. Uh, and from there, you know, another part uh, in today's world, particularly the high-achieving, uh, you know, groups, there's a lot of problem with the self-blame. You know, that the sense that I'm not good enough because when we have goals, we fall short. Yes. You know, that and. Uh, Modern world is really plagued by this kind of self blame, self hate, you know, this self judge judgment, and uh, c- 
compassion when it comes to compassion it uh, in this in the cbcd which is drawn from this mind training tradition of the you know buddhist tradition certainly but uh, purely as a psychology that is in a secular context it uh, teaches us or it uh, you know leads us into kind of connecting to ourselves as a human beings you know we are human beings just like anyone else yeah you know we have certain human limitations no one is perfect i am not perfect either mm-hmm. you know like the sort of connecting to our with human condition itself also is a huge kind of source of relief for so many people who have been struggling with self blame and hatred and feel guilt you know feeling that i'm not good enough and this is a major major source of problem for uh, the developed countries today so therefore that when you provide the a very kind of you know uh, precise ways for uh, attuning to our human condition you know through journaling through discussing with each other you know the, and reflections mm-hmm. uh, people find this uh, really really helpful uh, and then the the i would say another part as i was saying earlier you know this sense of connection is so important you know like the i was talking about the burnout right yeah. burnout is a major issue you know the teachers the doctors the nurses parents you know the anyone who has to care for someone you know it's it's a hard work and uh, there is a high degree of burnout but the researchers the scientists who do the research they find among other factors there of course there are many different contributors but the three a uh, main contributors are there that's one is what's called the fatigue physical or emotional fatigue just feeling exhausted yes second one is what is you know the thing that i'm not good enough you know this lack of efficacy i i can't do that i'm not good enough i'm you know whether you're a musician or the writer or the teacher or the mm-hmm. you know parent or the wife or the husband or the whatever do you feel that i'm not good enough third one is what they call the depersonalization the meaning a uh, lack of meaningful connection you know f- not feeling connected to people around and that's where the compassion facebook friends yeah yeah so that's you know that that's the tragedy you see that uh, you know since 1980s uh, of course our electronic connection has just double triple Exploded. right you know we are more than ever before kind of connected through electronically you know like that the people have millions of you know followers and like that or the many people have facebook friends many i have 5000 people yes 5000 yes. friends uh-huh. on my facebook yes. <laughs> but 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 you see that you know the how many we really meaningfully kind of connected. meaningfully connected and the research shows that since 80s this this sense of loneliness has doubled mm-hmm. whereas electronic connection we have you know many fold increased many many fold mm-hmm. but the loneliness you know has doubled it's doubled you know that since 80s so the meaningful connection is it's a very kind of subjective you know that where you begin 
to see certain commonalities. You know, that uh, uh, the idea of uh, how we can see others as one of us, regardless of what they look like. If we can see that this other person is just like me, who has certain goals, dreams, who wants to be happy, who wants to be safe, who wants to be free from suffering, just like us, you know, like that, uh, but who is also vulnerable, yeah. that, that make mistakes, It's it, that's part of being human and like that. If we can kind of connect to the other's humanity, then there is a sense of connection. And then the interdependence part, another one. Mm-hmm. So just to wrap it up, uh, the last part you explained uh, that the to dig into our Өнгөрсөн амьдралынхаа аль нэг хэсэгт болсон бусдын энерлийг хүлээн авсан мучиг эргэцүүлэн санаж за тухайн мучиг тархиндаа дахин зурглаж нөгөө мучтуу мэдрэмжийг дахин төрүүлэх энэ аргачлан л энэрх сэтгэлийг төрүүлэх эхний алхам болсон юм тий and caretaking moments from others and then to go through those moments and re take those images in your brain and then find that feeling from your uh from your memory is the the starting point that you За миний хувьд гэсэн санаа тавдаг ойр дотно гэж үздэг аавэ жимээ өгөө гэр бүлийн бусад хүчүүд гээд yes and uh, yes as you mentioned that the compassion this quality we do have all of us we do have and that's why we exist and then that's why we actually watching these videos and then talking with the loved ones but the thing is uh, i have my family my my moms and dads and uh, my grandma and all family members my cousins and yes around 50 people that i do care about them and i do feel compassion towards them and they feel compassion towards me too and that the thing is how to expand our circle of concern which is not just my family and friends but other people who i don't know mm-hmm. whether they exist or not but uh, to compassionate towards them that's the challenge that we face right yes and uh, uh that's the part that to be genuine genuine mm-hmm. towards those people <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> people yes and uh Um, how we can find that common ground between those unknown people that maybe that's that person will not think about what i feel like i i'm i'm trying to learn to be more compassionate mm-hmm. towards any other people but other people's uh um, task is maybe they gain money over me or something sure. else right yes. so these kind of challenges we always facing and then that's when the trust collapses and then that's when we get get stayed hurt yes and uh, you know ha- these kind of stuff must you y- you already know the answer but uh, uh what should we do you know if i may give you a very practical um, brief exercise if you will part of the compassion training mm-hmm. uh, before we ad- I do that I will explain you know th- uh, how this practice uh, is to be done let's say that today uh, as I was saying earlier uh, 
you know, there's so much stress. You know, the life that we live is a very complex life, particularly if you are living in a city. You know, there are so many demands on our lives, and uh, um, it kind of adds to that stress. Uh, and you can think of our own body and mind, if you will. You know, when it is more in the harmony, and the more you can say that medical world is homeostasis, you know, more yeah. more balance, you know, mm-hmm. like that. Uh, we are more resilient. We feel better. We function better. We can, uh, you know, be more creative. Uh, but when we become stuck in this hyper arousal feelings like very anxious you know very agitated that we can become when things go wrong or the things are not going the way that we you know hope or expect it to be um, and uh, or at other times we become you know in fall into this what's called the hypo arousal not hyper high but low mm-hmm. in a way we feel just low helpless nothing works i'm not able to do anything and then just become more depressed and numb. If we remain stuck in either feeling high, this, you know, outside of that resilient homeostatic range where we function better, if we get bumped out of that high zone and get remain stuck there, then we become very anxious, you know, they're unable to sleep, unable to even, you know, focused uh, and uh, we can make a lot of mistakes uh, with 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 we are unable to sleep unable to eat properly you know do things properly then our work will suffer also but also being in that high zone you know we are bombarding our body with all the chemicals like the stress chemicals and all the stress then then it will uh, in, it will kind of damage our own tissue, the cells, the nervous system, and then therefore the metabolism, health, metabolism and health problems, you know, mm-hmm. like that. Or even you feel helpless, there's certain challenges in life, you are not able to kind of, you know, respond to that, then you become hopeless, helpless, and then depressed and numb. There also we don't function well, and then we will become ill, and uh, our lives will fall apart. Our relationship would not you know, survive either. So the idea is that how do we come back to this resilient place, range, that where we flourish, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about the, when do we feel safe, you know, that when, let's say as a little kid, my mother steps out of the room and I feel so scared. I will be screaming, I will be very anxious. When the mother comes and picks me up, you know, like that, automatically I would feel safe. I will be quieter. I will feel better, you know. So you can see that how a moment of nurturance like this, you know, we are usually correlated, socially regulated when, when we are anxious, our parents or friends or others who consult us, who, you know, we are co-regulated or socially regulated. But as an adult, you know, so often, we are, you know, 
not we don't allow others to regulate ourselves we are so Self-regulate. so we are so kind of you know uh proud of ourselves mm. the, the egotistic and that you know like this but psychologically we f- we feel very dysregulated emotionally mm-hmm. right so we have to self regulate how do we self regulate if i were to regulate myself by simply connecting to a you know person uh and a moment where uh, i i i felt safer i felt you know uh, uh good you know that where somebody uh, actually uh cared for me you know provided the even just by sitting with me you know just when i'm i'm not feeling well just being the person just without judging just sitting with me it feels safer you know it puts me at ease so we can either actually receiving that care or connecting to that moment mentally i can you know bring to mind that moment and with as vividness as we can as much details you know what the colors were where it was who it was what the sounds if i can remember you know and the what the f- expression on the face what mm-hmm. the body language tone of voice and like that as we we can kind of you know bring that moment back to your mind now and then you can feel that your nervous system you know whether it's actually you are in that moment or you are recalling your brain actually functions a similar way and therefore your nervous system you know goes into more parasympathetic if you are feeling low it gives you more energy and then you come to this more homeostatic state you feel better you start feeling better you start feeling safer and that's where where the the compassion training you know just kind of first step of learning to be aware if i am feeling anxious or low dysregulated you know and in those moments by learning to access those moments that of comfort of safety of nurturance kindness that we can actually put our body and mind in more regulated state now and the the more and more we can do that in the everyday life we will be more regulated we will feel better more resilient we will function better and then we can you know interact with our colleagues and others better the question that you asked earlier about you know how to expand our compassion from in the circle from those nearest us you know parents and mm-hmm. like that way it easily comes on naturally to them to others where we don't feel mm-hmm. of course i think the, you know first thing is for us to keep in mind that it's really not necessarily the goal that we need to feel compassion for people on the other side of the world where we may never see them never meet them never know who they are and of course our main goal is to have that sense of connection with the people that we will you know interact whether they are our loved ones or the 
people who are somewhat strangers, you know, when you, you, you are driving, someone is driving next to you. Mm-hmm. If they, for some reason, cut in front of us, how am I going to react to this person? You know, that your colleague in the workplace, you know, that maybe not competing with you, but, you know, we may feel that I have nothing to do with this, the next door person. But, you know, we may never establish a sense of connection. On the other hand, if we can connect to this reality of our interdependence, you know, that at the work, what I'm doing is in some ways this person next door is actually making that possibility. Would there be a workplace, you know, just for me alone? Or any company is made possible by number of other workers, the administrators, and everybody is part of that, right? If I can connect to that reality, you know, it's because of who he or she is, what he or she does, that I have the opportunity to do what I am. Like that, like you are a CEO, you know, that um, the as long as you remain kind of totally, you know, oblivious about other people who are work, who working under you or with you, that it's because of them that I have this opportunity to uh, do what I do. You know, if we don't lose that sense, then we will just treat them as objects. You know, that's somebody that, you know, uh, like you are something that they owe something to you instead of you, you know, uh, see that how I, I, I am who I am because of them. And um, so in expanding compassion is not so much to become a Mother Teresa or the, you know, Dalai Lama or the Jesus or the Buddha, you know, like the saints like that. Mm-hmm. Of course, that would be wonderful, certainly. It's most practical thing is that how can we, you know, establish a little bit of a deeper sense of warmth and connection with the people around us. Uh, and even people who may be somewhat difficult to deal with at times, but if we can make visible, if we can begin to see that how this person at the work, maybe that they are, you know, what they are doing is not quite uh, that what uh, helps we, you think that what it helps you, but in some indirect ways, you know, this person is also part of this company and that make the company possible and where I, I am working. So by seeing these connections, mm-hmm. I, we can become you know, emotionally a certain uh, way closer. And this sense of closeness can you know, make our own kind of lives uh, become a little bit more uh, richer. You know, we will feel, you know, in our interacting with others, less kind of uh, threatened, you know, that more of a sense of closeness. And uh, those, how we feel about each other shows up in our expressions. Little moments of what I say, how I move around this person, how I look at this person. And all that, communicate to other person, even he or she may not know, but their brains register that 
how this person is looking at you, that tone of voice is, whether it will put them at comfort or make them more anxious and threatened. It depends on how our expressions are. And those expressions are not just always kind of calculated, oh, I'm going to you know, smile at this person. And it's very spontaneous. What we feel, it shows up on our face. Mm. in our tone of voice, in our body language, in our small decisions. Yeah. And uh, and that's why that uh, there's nothing really something so magical extraordinary. About this. Yeah, extraordinary. It's all about just a simple kind of you know feelings of connection that changes the way that how we interact with them. And those interactions change the way that how they feel and interact with us. And that's where that is kind of, you know, it's, uh, the reciprocity is part of our kind of the social life. And when it is coming from that place of warmth, mm-hmm. of course it will you know, lead to the greater degree of cooperation, trust, uh, in which you know, both uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. When you talked about uh, nurturing moments and then uh, when you explained it what happens to your uh, to human body it felt it made me feel like uh, we actually capable of tram- time traveling the human body physically yes. cannot uh, travel the time but uh, actually the mind's power is that powerful or that strong that even uh, our physiology reacts to it that uh, we went back to that past moment and then feel back what you have felt during that time. So it's amazing that uh, science have found that mm-hmm. that um, it's a still uh, exercise or practice. It requires practice that uh, we can we actually we creating moments right now by interviewing you i feel this uh uh compassion cuz you giving this interview not to gain money mm-hmm. for yourself but you provide the necessary information to us to overcome our struggles that we face and the audience uh my viewers just now i hope they realize mm-hmm by seeing this information is it's a moment of nurturing it will stay in your memory you can recall this memory back that you found this information just to make you feel better and make you feel important not lonely that there's a people who you never met in person but uh, this person or these people they're giving you these necessary techniques to overcome those loneliness and uh, uh, th- that loneliness caused you anxiety, depression, whatsoever. But the true goal of this conversation or this dialogue, it's to help you to overcome all those struggles and uh, make you understand there's a help that you can seek and uh, there's a there's a solution that you can find if you dig deeply into this 
CBCT and uh, you know Buddhist view and all those things. But uh, I just I just don't want it to relate it to religions whatsoever. But uh, it's fact, and uh, we can't avoid it. But uh, um, yeah, hopefully it gets to you, and uh, consciously you decide to study more and find a way to overcome your struggles. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank right, you. That's that exactly true. Yeah, uh, our hope, you know, certainly is that uh, not uh, to say that everyone needs to kind of study Buddhism or to go into Buddhism, but uh, as His Holiness the Dalai Lama says that you know we can all learn from each other's tradition. Mm-hmm. You know that there are things that Buddhist tradition has really uh, advanced and uh, this today together with the science uh, is providing you know many of these new uh, really practical ways to enhance the quality of our life and I think one can whether one is a Buddhist or not or atheist or Christian Muslim whatever it is these tools like compassion you know these are universal, and then the, you know uh, anyone can, uh, if they see the benefit in this, can uh, learn. Uh, and uh, you know some of these uh, steps that I mentioned; these are not presented within the the boundaries of Buddhist religion, but more in the science. Mm-hmm. My last question, it's not related with the topic, but uh, as as 27 years of experience in Buddhist practice, uh, monk, a uh, former monk, yes. and uh, came to my studio, so I want to know what's the meaning of this word, Lori Pimba. Lori Pimba. I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it well, but uh, it's a... Uh, Loi Pempa. Loi Pempa. Loi Pempa. Yeah. Loi Pempa means the uh, your mental aim or the motivation. You know that Pempa, like the Loi Lo means mind. Uh-huh. Pempa is what you aim. You know that what you. So Loi Pempa. You know, for me, if if you think that what is what is my aim you know, of my mind or the motivation, you know, really. it's, uh, Of course, uh, on a personal level, like anyone, I like to flourish in mm-hmm. well-being. But, uh, you know, as uh, if as someone who deeply uh, values what uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama has been doing for so many years, uh, I truly believe you know, in his vision, and that is to advance a culture of compassion through secular, through this universal, you know, uh, programs, the methods where one can uh, be from any tradition or no religious tradition, you know, can uh, learn and become better in regulating one's own emotions. 
better in interpersonal awareness and empathy and compassion, and then you know better at interacting in the world, whether in a kind of more narrow way with mm-hmm. each other or uh, you know uh, wherever possible to making a contribution to the larger you know greater good. Yes, mm-hmm. that is my Loi Pemba. <laughs> Great. Or feel that you felt like detecting that moment that actually it happened. So um, I'm not sure if I'm 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 saying it the uh, right way, but uh, you practiced or you learned to do it. And uh, can you explain, elaborate on that? Like uh, actually, you know, th- sometimes the human mind is so powerful that. We can visualize it and imagine it, and maybe we we can uh, we can believe that it actually happened or not. But uh, mm. sometimes we achieved something that we feel uh, maybe very happy or something else. Mm-hmm. But actually, we forget it. Maybe, but uh, that the actual matter, the how we detect that actually happened. Yes. Uh, You know, it's part of what's called the mindfulness. Actually, mm-hmm. this is a term very loosely used today, uh, mindfulness meditation. Uh, cognitive psychologists or the brain psychologists, they talk about meta-awareness or the metacognition. Meta. Uh, meta, M-E-T-A, ah. meta yeah. over, you know, like mm-hmm. that. So um, in the, uh, the psychology, if you will, Buddhist psychology, mm-hmm. you know, that... Uh, the way to regulate our emotions and thereby our behavior mm-hmm. and the decisions is really t- by bringing awareness to our own emotions, thoughts, feelings, you know, to our own reactions. And uh, if we remain very kind of out of tune with our own inner dimension, our own, what we are feeling, what you know, where, what we are thinking, what kind of our emotions we are feeling and so forth, we will have no way to regulate them. So there is a practice called, in Tibetan it's called Sheshin, Samprajanya in Sanskrit, or the meta-awareness, or the, sometimes it's translated as the monitoring awareness. Mm-hmm. Like anything else, you can practice you know, to get better at being aware of where our mind my mind is right now mm-hmm. you know, what is what what's going on so in such a way that where you can begin to notice and if needed make the appropriate adjustment as i was saying earlier remember when our body and mind are dysregulated you know either kind of stuck in high zone you know mm-hmm. feeling very anxious you know or the agitated or low. If we are t- kind of totally in out of tune with our own 
sensations, feelings, and like that. We will not notice that. But if we learn to become a little bit more aware of what our feelings are, what am I feeling? You know that I'm feeling anxious. You know I'm feeling low and like that. There, then we have the opportunity to make a choice. You know, either at least to either to disengage from whatever is making us anxious, and then bring our attention to somewhere where it feels more pleasant, like the nurturing moment, or mm-hmm. even like the nice landscape, or the even looking at the nice colors, or the listening to some sounds and like that. Uh, but that has to be through awareness of our own thoughts, feelings, sensations, and so forth. And this is something that, uh, you know, uh, in modern psychology also, you know, particularly dealing with the traumas, you know, that people who have gone through certain early childhood traumas or, or yeah. even the adulthood, you know, because... Trauma is such that if it's something that traumatizes our nervous system, our mind. You know, years after, we may not remember what's making me feel threatened. Mm-hmm. We may not know, but uh, let's say that if someone, you know, with the beard, uh, caused us real f- kind of, you know, uh, anxious feeling, or they abused us, or they threatened us, or. Th- that traumatic experience we may not remember, but in our, even now in our adulthood, when we see someone with the beard and like that, our brain has that memory, and so therefore it will be, you know, reacting to as if you are going to be hurt, you know, hurt. and therefore that your nervous system will be, you know, in that sympathetic mode and that stress hormones and so forth and so on. So. That's why I think that uh, you know what is important uh, in this, this kind of trauma. Uh, people struggling with trauma also is to learn to be more attuned to the changes in our own interior, whether it's in the physical sensations, you know, that feelings and so forth, because emotions actually unfold in our physiology. It, it changes our physiology. We breathe faster if we are anxious, our heart is beating faster and so forth. When we are feeling better, they said, you know, our breathing is smoother. You know, there's a certain sense of warmth feeling in the, our chest and so forth. So this tool known as meta-awareness or the, you know, monitoring awareness, it's something that you can uh, practice uh, and get better at. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And the last part will require another episode. So we're going to finish it over here. And still we are giving you a chance to study more. And yeah, if someday uh, the, the destiny gives a chance to meet up again and talk, talk about this topic even more and even deeply, it will happen that time and uh, by the time I want to be happy what I get just today and I'm, I'm aware of what I've just achieved and I'm just happy to uh, have this conversation and uh, 
made you guys to go through this uh, knowledge and all those experiences and i i, I don't want to go uh, more and uh, thank you very much thank you thank you so uh, much much appreciated thank you i really appreciated the opportunity and i hope that your audience you know uh, if they found anything useful here uh, if it uh, raises their curiosity to learn more about they know that where to look for yes thank you yeah i'm going to i'm going to put the links down there to to make you go through uh, if you want it make you go through all this uh, program and then where you can find the reliable source of knowledge and uh, yes and uh, i wish you the joy and happiness for rest of the day and your lives and thank you very much again thank you thank okay. you so much see you next time in our in our different episodes ciao